This episode is going to be with a friend, Carla, who is a first-gen career coach for women of color. So if you are looking to, you know, get ahead with your finances, and there's a lot that we can do from the money management perspective, for sure. Then the other side of that is how do I bring in more money? And if you're at a nine to five job, a lot of the times this can feel like a little bit of a, Ooh, what do I do? How do I do this? Like what, it, what are the steps to take in order to increase my income and salary every single year and have more control over that as opposed to just waiting for somebody to give you or offer you a raise or promotion, right? So this episode is going to help you really take an active and a proactive role in your, um, like increasing your salary from a career coach who knows the ins and outs and has just like amazing thoughts um, and perspectives to offer. So I hope you enjoy this. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Latina Investors. So this episode I'm so excited about because we just kind of did a little like debrief before the episode and we started talking about so many different topics. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait until we actually like do this. But <laughs> I am joined by one of my friends, Carla, who is a career coach for first-gen women of color. And I'm excited to have this conversation with her because we are just going to talk about all that comes with being first-gen, getting a job, negotiating, working the corporate ladder, like being really in control of like how much you make. Um, and I think it's like just going to give a lot of like insight to how to like approach this from someone who is a career coach and like, you know, like is really good at this. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited for this conversation and a welcome, Carla. Thank you so much, Andrea. I am so happy to be here and I'm so excited because yeah, even just like the things that we already talked about, like I am so, um, I'm just so pumped to bring this to your listeners and to really talk about all things career and mindset and increasing your salary. Yeah. Yeah, so let's start kind of with like your origin story. Like, where did this all start? Um, how did you, you know, what was your path to becoming a career coach? But more kind of like, you know, you know how like I feel like coaches all have a story of like what happens that like <laughs> made you who you are. Uh, for me, it was like you know just being in a, a class where like the person was talking about money, but it was condescending and me being like, you know what? people are not going to land with this. Like somebody else has to like be a voice and that kind of started my journey. But for you, like what, what was that? Thank you so much for that question. I kind of, I love that. Like my career coach origin story. <laughs> so I have, I have two. I feel like I have like an entrepreneur or origin story and like a career coach origin story. The entrepreneur origin story really briefly is um, I was making like $0 in my higher ed job. I was like, I need a new job. Uh, there's a little bit more to that, but I actually want to talk about like becoming a career coach. Uh, so my background is in higher ed. And before in higher ed, I was in K through 12 education. So I have always been like mentoring and advising first with like college access and college placement and college success, and then career readiness and career success and uh, grad school advising. So I feel like I had always been just like in this advisory capacity. And because my job was in, in higher ed, like I thought everyone did that. I thought that was just part of my job. Um, and even I remember, uh, let's see, it was, a you know, a few years ago. I don't really remember the date, but it was when students started graduating from, you know, like the University of Miami. So I was working at the University of Miami at the time and they kept coming back to me you know, about, you know, like a major transition, like, oh, I'm thinking of going back to grad school or like, I'm thinking of doing this. And I was, you know, wondering if I could hear your thoughts or, you know, talk to you for advice. And so that was the first time that I was mm -hmm. like, oh, ha ha ha, I should be like a career consultant. You know, I didn't even think of the <laughs> word coach. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and I had that thought like a few times over the years, you know, um, and then, you know, like fast forward to 2020, um, I'm still having all of these conversations with everybody, like my direct reports, my friends, like I am the person they come to for career coaching, career advice. But again, I wasn't like, I guess, knowledgeable of the term or of the field of coaching. And so I, at first I thought it was like a joke, like, haha, no. Um, and like I said, you know, then my entrepreneurial origin story is like, wow, I really don't make any much money. <laughs> like, I can't believe I worked this hard for this little pay. Um, but I 
because it was, you know, had, we had been quarantined, so I still hadn't had the COVID vaccine yet. And I had at that point started working on like my own personal development and like my own beliefs around money. And that's when I started thinking about like, oh, like what can I do outside of my nine to five? Um, and there were two people, one of them, two people on my team uh, where I worked with, where I worked at the time. One of them was my direct report and somebody was um, on my team, but did not directly report to me. And I kept on having the exact same conversations with him. Like I had a recurring one-on-ones. And I realized that I was like, yeah, these are the conversations that I had with so-and-so over the last six months. And then as I'm, as I'm having these exact same conversations, asking the exact same questions, helping them get to their, you know, like their own conclusions, like finding their passions, finding their values, I had this light bulb moment of, oh, I should be a career coach. <laughs> Am I like really good at this? <laughs> yes, that is exactly how that happened. So I went from like, you know, maybe I want to say like 2018, 2019, like, haha, I should be a career consultant to 2021. Like, oh, I actually should should do this. Like, I, I am good at this. People come to it. It's not part of my job. Like, this is just mm -hmm. a thing that people come to me because it's my skill set. So yeah. that's how, you know, like I realized that I'd been career coaching for a long time and that it was time to do it on under my own name. Yeah, that's so awesome. It, it's so funny. Sometimes it's like very obvious, but it takes a while to like see it as the person who's in it. Like from outside looking in, I'm sure people are like, yeah, she's really good at this. But for you, it might have been just like, oh, I'm just asking them questions. <laughs> and it's like, and I think that sometimes that is like, um, maybe even like, when you start a job, the things that come easily to you, you you tend to discredit because you don't like, it's almost like you don't put enough value on the skill that you're naturally good at because you think like, oh, this is so easy. Everyone must be like good at this. And I think sometimes that's like, even as like someone in corporate taking the time to like really sit and like analyze, like, no, actually you're really gifted at this skill set. Um, which is, I know, something that you help your clients with. Um, but I think that's like a great uh, transition to like being able to do that and being able to find value in your skill set puts you in a place where you are more in control of like how much money you bring in, which I think can be a really hard thing for people who have like a salary or a nine to five income to feel like I can control how much I make right? Like, you know, maybe in businesses or uh, like people who freelance, they're in charge of like getting projects or bringing in clients. And that can maybe for them feel like, yeah, I'm in the driver's seat. Whereas I think sometimes for someone in a nine to five, this was my experience. And it, you know, it's definitely different for everybody. My experience was like, oh, I guess this is just what I'm like paid. And I have to like wait for the yearly review and performance and see how I did and then they'll let me know like how much I'm like I wasn't as like focused on like you know like growing my salary uh as like a lever of like this is going to help my wealth building I really focused on like okay let me just squirrel away as much money as I can because like I'm really good at saving um so yeah for you I'm guessing it came natural to like think about okay, I'm good at this. Like what, I guess, let me connect this. What was your jumping point from, okay, I'm good at helping people. Now I'm going to use this skill set to like grow my career or like increase my salary. What, where did that come in for you? That is so interesting. Um, I think that might have actually been kind of like two separate things because, you know, I kind of just do want to touch on the, you know, what is easy for you is not easy for everyone. Mm -hmm. That is the one of the primary things that I try to like tell my clients so much. And actually, you know, so I have a corporate nine to five job and I did one of like my signature workshops and I did it for my corporate job. And I was telling multiple six figure earners hey, just because it comes easy to you doesn't mean it's easy for everyone else. And so these things, it's not like we one day wake up magically and understand like, oh, I'm so good. Like it takes a lot of work mm -hmm. and a lot of reflection. And so for me, I, I it's interesting because, you know, like I've had my coaching business for 
uh, over two years. And then just now starting to realize that there's a lot of intersect between, you know, like working in my nine to five and being a better coach. Uh, but, you know, like the question that you asked, like, oh, how did I, you know, like make that jump? I think it was two different things. So I, in my last higher ed job, I was underworked. I mean, I'm sorry, overworked, underleveled and underpaid, like woefully underpaid. And I decided to leave that job before I decided to like open my coaching business. Um, I remember I started to leave that job in December, no, February, February, 2021, because back in October, 2020 was Latina Equal Pay Day. And I finally asked the thing that had been on my mind since I started that job. And it's like, hey, am I getting equal pay for equal work? Like I knew deep down in my heart that I wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, like I just, I knew it. Um, and, and I decided to leave that job from a place of like, screw these people, you know, like, how dare you? I am so much better. And I, I realized that there was, um, it was a grieving process for me because I love that job. I love that job mm -hmm. so much. And I don't think anybody ever really talks about grieving the loss of like this identity. You, you know, like I thought I was going to be like a college president one day, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and then again, because this is early 2021, I'm still working from home, still quarantined. I remember driving to my office. It was, and I just, I'm crying and just like, uh, I'm sorry, driving to my office because I needed to like go clean it out or something. It was the first time in almost a year that I was going back to the office and just like crying in this like 50 minute drive to my office because I knew that that was when I was, I knew that I was the last time I was going to go to that office. Like I knew that I was leaving that job and as much as I loved it, I had to love myself more. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And so like, that is just one of the parts for me, like I, you know, like, a, and, and this might be getting like super all over the place, but my grandma had passed away six months earlier and mm -hmm. she passed away uh, during the pandemic. So I wasn't able to go down to her funeral uh, in Honduras and it was so painful. And I, I so much, and I tried to kind of suppress that, but then, you know, it was like six months later and then I was thinking like, how, how dare I stay in this job where I am overworked and underpaid, like I did not give up, like living in proximity to my with to my grandma, to be overworked and underpaid. Mm -hmm. Like I, my parents didn't move me to the United States for me to be overworked and underpaid. I didn't bust my behind getting a master's for me to be overworked and underpaid. Like I like this is all of these thoughts were going through my head, and and that's why I was crying because I had to grieve mm -hmm. that loss. Um, and that's, it was like, it, it had to come from me from a place of self-love of why I decided to leave that job and detach my identity from work in order to make more money. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so good. That's so good. I think like service-based, nonprofit, mission-driven like work that isn't necessarily, you know, like that just is different, lands different for people. It's harder to leave. Um, if you're working with young people, youth, like if you're like if you're really if your job kind of you feel like there's a mission behind it, it is harder to leave. From my from my experience personally and what I've heard from clients is like, yeah, I know I'm not making that much, but like oh, I just like love it. I love the the vision, I love the people, like and it can be so hard to like love yourself more and make a decision for your career that ultimately is going to lead to better opportunities, more options, a better like income. Um, but I think that that I yeah, I think that that happens with like mission service driven jobs and it can be so hard to to detach yourself from that. Um, how are you able to do that? Like, how are you able to like. I guess you were just like rooted in like, it's okay and safe for me to want more. And and you allowed yourself to grieve. Um, but how do you walk your your clients through that process? Yeah, um, that's interesting. Thank you for, for asking because I think that by the time my clients get to me, they are um, 
they're already disillusioned with the nonprofit sector. Like, I think many of them have already grieved that, you know, um, not all of them. There's definitely some like, oh, you know, like I want to, I want to remember I coached one person who wanted to be an executive director of, uh, of a mission driven organization. It's like, all right, this is your goal. Like, this is what we're doing. Um, and that was about a year and a half ago. She's not taking a sabbatical because that place was, you know, ultimately not what she envisioned it, that it would be. Um, so I, I kind of help my clients or just understand that the community that they love so much is going to benefit from them being in a better place mentally and physically and financially. You know, like I, I kind of walk them and not just necessarily, not just like my clients, but like my entire platform is all about making this like invisible structures visible. You know, like I really think that women of color and like immigrants and children of immigrants and first gens, we're socialized into these like low paying nonprofit jobs because we're socialized into thinking we have to be like of service to others. You know, like, yeah, um, absolutely. And it, it's, it's, so I kind of just, I do a lot of making that really, really visible for people. Uh-huh. And so usually by the time that they get to me, they're like, yeah, I'm ready to leave education. I'm ready to leave nonprofit. I'm ready to leave government because they're ready to put themselves first and know they're, they're they know that putting themselves first is how actually they can advance their community, advance their families, like advance the goals that they have actually come to fruition much faster when they themselves are putting themselves first, when they're taking care again of like their mental health, their physical well-being and their financial well-being and acknowledging that all those three things are tied together. Like you cannot be um, I mean, I guess, you know, like we live here in the United States. It's extremely, it's it's like late stage capitalism. You cannot pretend that increasing your income isn't going to increase your quality of life, you know? And so like when folks are ready to increase their quality of life, it starts by making that decision and deciding to increase their income and doing so without making their entire life about work. Yeah. Yeah, you do a really good job also talking about like boundaries at work and like kind of creating that separation of like, this is my job and I I can love it. And it's at the end of the day, it's my job, Um, which I think is really great. I think it's a healthy way to look at jobs and not to say that you can't enjoy it and you can't find something that's mission driven and that you, you really enjoy, but always having that boundary of like, and this is my job. Right. Like I can be a whole person outside of this. Like it doesn't have to be so tied to my identity. Um, but something that you were saying that I think is is really good, like when we were talking about like it just opens the door to more opportunities, more advancement, bringing your community along with you. Um, what do you feel? Well, first of all, tell us your story with like you know, you're like, okay, I feel like I'm, you know, uh, ready to like move on. Like after you kind of left us at a click finger of like you left your, your education job, then what? Um, like how did you then approach careers or your jobs after kind of having this like pivotal moment in your life? Oh my God, <laughs> did not mean to, to leave you at a click finger. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's all for the storytelling. <laughs> how funny. Um, well, I think that one of the reasons why I grieved that, that job so much is that I was grieving higher ed as an institution. And at that point in my life, I had left Mormonism maybe like three or four years prior. And Mormonism is an institution, like organized religion is an institution. And I have like, you know, like a horrible experience with like religious trauma and like, you know, just like abuse within like this religious organization. And I'm so sorry that I didn't give that content warning. Um, you know, so I I was really disillusioned by a, a, an institution and an organization that was the Mormon church. And then a few years down the line, I was again, really disillusioned by this job, this institution and this job where I worked was where I got my associate's degree. Like I loved that institution. And so for me to once again have been let down by an institution, I was like, that is it. I am never again going to give an organization the power to break my heart. 
And that's what I decided. That was, that's been like such a pivotal moment in my approach to work. Like my job is my job and yes, I can do meaningful work and I can be great at it and I can derive joy from it, but it is just my job. It is not who I am. And so making that decision, that's how I was able to leave higher ed. Uh, I worked in healthcare. I was there less than a year because no, it was not for me. Um, and also I just had like a, a really bad experience with my direct manager. Um, so I was like, nope, gotta go. Uh, by the way, I, the, and I just tell you really briefly about that. I asked for a raise at my six month check-in because I didn't actually negotiate my salary. So I was so desperate to leave my higher ed job that when they offered and I had in practice and then when she was like, oh, well, this is what we're offering you. I was like, mumble, mumble, mumble. She's like, do you accept? And I was like, yes, <laughs> you know? So, so yeah, so practice negotiating your salary, people. Practice saying the words out loud. Um, so at six months, I kind of brought it up. It's like, hey, you know, like it wasn't my intention to like accept the first offer. I've done some market research on, I mean, I don't think I called it market research, but I've done some research on what somebody with my skills and experience should be making and it should be X, Y, or Z. And this woman, her reaction was, ha, 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 that's not going to happen. I was like, oh, oh my wow. God. I know. Isn't that awful? That is so, awful. At least like be courteous. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Totally terrible. So that was like, all right, uh, later Gator. So I left that job soon thereafter. And that's when I transitioned into tech. And uh, that's kind of, and again, it's been my approach to work. And I guess a DEI practitioner, it's, um, it's also so easy to fall into this trap of, you know, like of still tying my identity to work of like, you know, I want to, and DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion and like creating more equitable workplaces. And, and I, I, even in saying this to you, I realized that there is still a part of me that was tied to that. Uh, but, um, I've been in, so I've been in my current organization for about a year and a half and I realized I'm like, nope, I'm done. I'm done with DEI work too. Like just like in general as a whole, because, uh, I know that I can have more effective, like I more effectively advance DEI strategies in an organization outside of DEI, you know? So that's like a whole other conversation, but that's kind of like, for me, it all started with this, like this illusionment with organizations as a whole, like two organizations that I deeply believed in. And then making that decision of like, never again, am I going to give an organization the power to break my heart? So like, you know, Things can hit the fan at work. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, what do you expect? It's work. <laughs> like, yeah. that's kind of like my approach to work now. You have like a little bit of a um, realistic, maybe not the right word, but like, yeah, a realistic approach to like, hey, guys, we're just, this is just a job. <laughs> like, we love it. We can have fun. This could be great, meaningful. And like, just remember, like, we're, you're just a job. And I think that could be such a healthy a healthy message, especially like in our society, when I think sometimes like jobs and companies and careers can sometimes feel like, you know, they have to encompass all of you. Something that you said so casually <laughs> um, and that like when you finished saying, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's so impressive. You went from higher ed to healthcare to tech. And so and it seems like now you're like, OK, I'm done with that. Like now I want to do something else. And just the way even that you communicated that feels so like nonchalant, like, yeah, I'm just going to do that. Um, but I think sometimes people get really in their heads with like, no, this is my industry. Like, I have to stay here. I have to continue to work my way up. Like, I can't switch industries. I can't break, like, you know. So, yeah, like, how are you able to do that? Um, I know you talk a lot about like transferable skills. Um, and if someone is like really zoned in on like, this is the lane that I picked. So I, it, mean, it must mean I have to stay here my whole career. How do you empower people to kind of see like, actually, there are more industries, more um, lanes available to you. You just have to believe these things or do these things. Like, how do you, how did you do that? So like seamlessly, <laughs> it seems like. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so a few things. First, I want to talk about like not necessarily like a realistic view, like I want to say detachment because um, like if companies are doing layoffs or if, you know, like I remember taking it so personally when my HR rep told me like, well, if you didn't like the offer, you didn't have to take it. 
Like I almost rage quit on the spot. The only reason I didn't rage quit is because I was trying to buy a house. <laughs> I mean, probably I actually wouldn't have, uh, you know, but, uh, but now like it's, it's just, I'm truly detached from my workplace. Like, again, like I believe in showing up and being excellent. Mm -hmm. This is, and so like how I've been able to do that because I'm excellent at my job. Like I'm fan freaking tastic. And I truly believe that if you're going to job hop, you need to be excellent. No one cares what your career path looks like or how long you stay at a job if you are excellent and you have like that proof of delivering results. Uh, so that's what I mean about like this detachment, but mm -hmm. being detached doesn't mean like be bad at your job. No, I'm yeah. great at my job, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so there's that. And then I think with like transferable skills or how I like just quote unquote, like casually transition industries, um, I really decided what I wanted. And that is what I've found has been the most effective job search strategy. For me, it's just like have a very clear vision on what I want. Um, so I actually talked about this on a recent podcast episode um, that when I transitioned from healthcare, from higher ed to healthcare, what I what I wanted was to make more money because I was being underpaid. Um, give us. Oh, to have DEI on my resume because I knew I wanted to transition into a career in DEI. And to have the job be close to my house. Remember that I casually cried on like my hour long drive to my office. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> so uh, what I didn't say was, oh, I should probably like my job. <laughs> no. uh, so I was very clear. And then my job in healthcare had those three things. It was a 19 minute drive from my house. I was, I had DEI in my job title and it paid me 30% more than what I was making in higher ed. So it was like super abundantly clear. Then when I transitioned to tech, I wanted to be a DEI program manager at a tech company. Andrea, I couldn't like I couldn't name any other tech companies other than the five fang stocks. Like people are like, oh, what kind of tech company? And I was like, uh Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. <laughs> like it was just like I truly didn't even like I had no idea. But because I knew that's what I wanted, like I knew that's where the money was, I learned about it. Mm -hmm. And then I started seeing it's like, oh, look at everything that I've been doing. Like, so for example, um, actually, this goes back to one of your previous questions about, you know, like the the skills in my nine to five. Like, I like to help people. My first job in tech was workforce development, and it's like, mm -hmm. ding, ding, ding. I've literally been doing that my entire career in higher ed, just like managing interns, managing fellows, managing volunteers, just like helping people develop their skills. Um, hello, that's like me. So. <laughs> yeah so transferable skills identify what you're great at just you know like that is just so 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 important identify what you're great at and then figure out what jobs will pay you to do that yeah I think that that's like that is I think puts you more in the driver's seat of of your nine to five salary and not necessarily just like oh like this is just what the market rate is or like oh this is just what like I get paid it's like no 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 like if you're proactive of like seeing the value that you bring to an organization and you're really sold on it and you're confident about it and you know how to communicate like here's what I've done here's the results I've created here's the value that I bring that just even having that identity of like, like even just how you talk about your jobs, like, yeah, I'm just freaking fantastic at it. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, actually probably she's probably really great at this. But I think that like confidence around that is a skill that I think a lot of times people look at it like, oh, you know, I just don't have that or like, oh, I'm not that confident. But I think it's like, this is what we, this is what I mean when I say like, hey, if you have a nine to five or a salary, like put yourself in the driver's seat. And it means growing the confidence in your skill set. It means identifying what that is. It means looking to see where can I get paid well for the skill set that I have and just having a very proactive role in your income as opposed to what I think we're taught to do is like just passively wait to be recognized, to be praised, to be like promoted. And I think this is the difference in approaching your career is you don't just want to wait for money to come. It is safe and okay for you to pursue it. It's actually necessary because you're just going to get farther along faster. Oh my God. Yes. All of that. 100%. I love all of it. <laughs> so especially this last part about like, it's okay to pursue it. What was it? The lady from Wheel of Fortune, Vanna White, that she didn't get a raise for like 17 years or something. 
you I know, did not know that. Yeah, I I mean I I didn't fact check this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I just like saw it on like Instagram. <laughs> you know, so I didn't fact check this. But that's what I heard that like Wheel of Fortune has been going on for like 17 years and she hasn't gotten a raise in like 17 years. He's iconic. Um, which, right? Isn't that terrible? But again, it's like people it's so easy to blame her because like oh she didn't ask for a race but i'm like but it's no let's recognize that this is an organizational failure that was waiting mm-hmm. for her and not an organizational failure actually an organizational design that was waiting for her to come and ask for more money and didn't make an environment in which she felt empowered to do that mm-hmm. and like i mean and, and i'm using this example i obviously don't know the details but i do know that that's how organizations work they they're they're not designed to just like casually throw away money to, you know, and because that's right. Like we think about the fact that employees are called the human resources, like what the company companies do to resources, they exploit them. I went, you know, just <laughs> yeah. like, like wide I gasp because I never <laughs> thought about that. Yes. They treat us as a resource. Like that's what you mean about this attachment to my job. Like, yeah, mm. I'm fantastic at my job and you pay me to be fantastic at my job. The minute you stop paying me to be fantastic at my job. I'm going to stop, <laughs> you know? So. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean anything. It just means like, this is a transaction. I remember you wrote a post and I was like, this is so good. Um, what was it? It was, you made a, a statement on like, your job isn't doing you a favor. You are providing something of value and they are paying you and it is a fair and good transaction. They're not like, they're not like, doing you any favors like and I thought it was like so great because sometimes like you know people can get into this like oh like I'm so grateful and like I don't want to rock the boat and like I'm just gonna like be happy with what I got and like I'm just gonna be content um and there is something to like being grateful and being content sure but it's also kind of like but wait a second like like you're not like this like charity case you're not this like pity, like it, they found value in you and this is a transaction. Like no one's doing you any favors. You're bringing value that equals salary money, which I thought yes, was just exactly. Point. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I, I definitely want to like reiterate that because so many people think like, oh my God, like I'm so grateful for this job. And I'm like, wait, like you're solving a business need. Like let's start there. You and your skills and your knowledge and your experience is solving a business need and that is what they are paying you for like it's not that they're paying you because like ah, you know like pobrecita let's just take a chance on her no mm-hmm. you know and like don't get me wrong like there is a, a role for like sponsors and mentors and people who like will speak to your skills but they're not going to speak to your skills if you don't have them they're not going to put their reputation on the line if they don't mm-hmm. think that you can do the job so even when someone takes a chance on you it's that they're taking a chance on the value that they know that you can bring. So yeah, a job is a transaction and it's okay to like continue to increase your skills and then understand that the value you're providing needs to be commensurate with the value you are receiving. Like mm-hmm. it is a, it is a transaction. And one of the things that um, I also wanted to touch on earlier is like, you know, taking this, taking this initiative. So as a first-gen professional, like as a, you know, and, and I usually like to explain to people, like if you were a first-gen college student, you're now a first-gen professional, you know? So another way to say it is like someone in like a quote-unquote white-collar job with a blue-collar background. So I think about like my parents and working like really hard labor, you know, like blue-collar jobs. When you're in that kind of field, it's it like, let's say you're in construction. It kind of is... um it, it kind of is, or at least from, from my experience, yeah, like if you work harder and people see that, like it's very, very visible and people see it and you'll get more money for working harder because it's like super visible. So that that kind of generational thinking and knowledge has been passed down to us. Like mm-hmm. keep your head down, work hard, let your work speak for itself. No, 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 no. That does, That's just not how it works in corporate America. You have to speak for yourself. You have to showcase the value that you are bringing to the business so that the business can go, oh, yeah, she brings a lot of value. And if we don't pay her more, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is like taking that into your own hands and understanding that, again, you're 
bringing value to the business, showcasing them. And yeah, it's okay to be grateful for a job, but also understand that, well, actually, I'm going to take that back. You can be a leader. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I do believe in gratitude as a value, but again, you're there. It's a transaction, you know, like you can be grateful to your manager if you want to, or to like the people on your team and you can be a good sport and you can develop meaningful relationships with people. But at the end of the day, you're employed and it's a transaction. And so, yeah, speak up for yourself. Don't be fighting for crumbs. Like speak up for yourself. You deserve the whole pie. Yeah. I think something you said that was really interesting and kind of want to touch on is the idea that value has been taught to us that comes from like long, long hours of work and you have to like really tired. Like it just kind of like what I produce physically equals money. And so sometimes people take that into like a salary corporate job and just work a whole lot more because they still have this definition. If I work really hard and really long hours, I will look good. I will create value. I will be seen as X, Y, Z. And I think sometimes the the organization sets it up so that that is like communicated and expected. Um, But I also think there is something as first gen uh, professionals that like want to kind of deconstruct that is like tying value to your ideas, your efficiency, your like just even like the, the things your mind comes up with and produces and creates results don't all have to be tied to like a 12 hour day or a 10 hour day or whatever. It can be just like the way that you think about a problem, a problem, the experience you bring in solving these types of problems in this different industry. Like that is so valuable. And it doesn't have anything to do with you working for eight hours. It just has to do with like how you think, which is is a whole other kind of like, I think, uh, way of thinking that I want our communities to start stepping into is like, hey, my my value does not always come from working a really long day and being really exhausted at the end of the day. It can just come from how I think and problem solve. Yes, absolutely. That is really, really powerful because, yeah, like at the end of the day, you are getting paid to, to again, to solve a business need. And that's going to come from your brain. You know, that's going to come from your brain, like the the skills that you have, the education that you have, the perspective that you bring to that team, to that role, to that company, the impact that you're having. And that has nothing to do with, you know, like whether you're working until, you know, like 10 o'clock at night every day. You know, like it's not, you don't have to work. Well, first of all, like your worth is more than what you can produce for capitalism. But you also, like when you speak about the impact that you have, that's enough. And like advocating for yourself and showcasing that impact, you don't have to prove it by staying late at the office. I used to do that. You know, like I used to, I did the math one time. And I realized that I was working like the equivalent of an extra month for free at that job where I was already overworked and underpaid. Mm. And it was because um, because my boss was like right in the office next to mine and he would stay late and I thought I had to stay later. Like I, I don't know why I thought that. Like I thought that I needed to prove. I mean, obviously now I know it's because that's how we're socialized. You know, like we're socialized to think like we have to show this proof and this like physical proof but no, like the value that does come from our brains and what we can produce comes from our brain and the way that we solve problems. I can solve those problems within my eight hour workday. I don't got to stay at the office 10 hours to, yeah. to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just like another way of thinking. And I, I definitely tell my clients like, Hey, just, just so you know, the value comes from what you're bringing to the table and the problems that you're solving, it doesn't necessarily need to be tied to hours of work. And I think that's just like, you know, when I think about like hard work, I think about my dad working long hours. Like I, it, it makes sense that I like equated that equals that. Um, but as I kind of even reflect on like, okay, this was like this, my dad's generation of like this definition, what does my generation want to define this at? as I think is like super important. Um, But I also wanted to um, 
ask if you could share your story of um, looking for a new job as you were wanting to like purchase a home, because I think this is a really big thing right now with, you know, just like the economy and housing and, and everything. A lot of millennials are kind of in that stage where they're like, hey, I want to purchase a home. Um, but I live in a, a high cost of living area and I, you know, feel like, yeah, I could save and I can continue doing this. But at some point it's like, you know, if you're living in California, you're going to have to have a lot of money saved or, you know, um, and so, and you could definitely do that and eventually hit the savings goal, get the down payment, all of that. But um, the other way is to just make more money, increase the amount that you're bringing in. Right. And so um, I think it would be cool if you shared kind of like your own story with that um, to give people like just an example or like a proof of like, oh, okay, like I could just stay at my job and I could just ask for a raise or I could just like look to find another job, increase my salary, do that a couple of times and then put myself in a financial position where like, oh, now I can get the home that I want. Yes. So first of all, it took me like almost a full year to buy our home. I think we started, we made our first offer in August of 2020 and we closed on our home in May of 2021. Um, and so in August of 2020, I wasn't thinking about, I hadn't even brought up the conversation of like, hey, am I getting equal pay for equal work? And um, because I, because I was quarantined and I, you know, wasn't, and student loans were paused, like my, my debt to income ratio or something like basically like on paper I was in a good financial situation um even though I was only making $51,000 a year and like if I had to go to the office I'd spend $150 a month on gas so uh Andrea I the let me just like pause and say that like $51,000 a year that's like $300 above the poverty line in Miami-Dade County like mm -hmm. the federal and not maybe not necessarily the poverty line but like the line to where you can qualify for like free health care like the government was like carla are you okay do you need free health care like, i had a master's degree and i was only 300 dollars above the limit for like completely subsidized government services um and yet you know so like so my partner and i were you know we're uh, looking to buy a home together. So there's also like that privilege of like this worst, like the two of us doing this thing together. Um, and let's see. Oh, yeah. But I, you know, like we knew, like we kind of, we knew we had like a budget that we wanted to stay in. Um, and at that time, I was like, okay, you know, like that's just you know, like a little more than like our current monthly rent, you know, and like what we're going to do. And so I was thinking about this and I was thinking about like, okay, I, I looked at the houses and I'm like, well, actually, this is like the kind of house that I want, where I want to live. I'm not going to be able to afford this on my current salary. And like, you know, once the, the loans are like unpaused. So you can hear how much my student loans take up space in my brain. Just as a, that's another, uh, <laughs> that is a whole other episode. Um, but anyway, so I, you know, I had this like, this loans like taking up space in my brain. And then I realized that we actually ended up like we, we qualified, we were like, we qualified for a certain amount. The homes we were looking at were nowhere near that because we knew that like once the world opened up again, we would have way more expenses, you know? So we were kind of like planning ahead with that in mind. Mm -hmm. um, and then I looked at what the homes were costing. And this is again, like end of 2020, like, prices were extremely like skyrocketing um and i realized i was like all right well i actually want to i'm willing to increase my budget for housing like my own personal budget for housing where can i decrease other spending and so that's when i was like okay well my student loan payment is this much a month but what if i signed up for an income driven repayment plan and that cuts off like $200 for my student loan payments. And I can put those $200 to like my mortgage budget. And then I had this like moment of like, wait, what? What? <laughs> like, am I actually like, 
what I was just so like this moment I'm like that is that is backwards thinking I was like I need to just make more money like this was the moment was like straight up like I need to just make more money so that was the moment that I think I put like job alerts for my DEI job I'm like I need to like this was I knew that I wanted to increase my income because the fact that I was willing to like pay more interest over like longer periods of time by qualifying for this income driven repayment plan like I was like the idea that I was tying myself to being low income, that was like, this is, this is ludicrous. Mm. Like I need to just make more money. And so once I had that realization, um, that kind of, that was what kind of like my entrepreneurial origin story. I briefly thought like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll sell like plants on Etsy. <laughs> no, not a thing. Uh, anyway, so, so that's kind of like where this, uh, where this thought of like, I need to increase my salary came up and um and and that is uh what's interesting is that I was thinking about that and then I realized that I was being underpaid so I was like looking for jobs and that's when I was like all right I need to find a house and a job is going to be close to my new house but I don't know where I'm going to live so it was just like a lot of things uh going on um but I very much knew that like I needed to increase my income in order to buy and be able to afford the kind of house that I wanted to afford because the last thing that I wanted was to um to like spend all like be super tight you know and by the way even that being said like when I got like let's see like we we bought the house and uh, because here's the thing we moved into my last day at my old job was July 1st. No, July 1st, I moved into my new house. July 2nd was my last day at my old house. July 3rd, I last launched my first digital product. And like July 4th was a holiday. And like July 5th, I started a new job. Like it was, it was like a whirlwind. Of wow. Life. You really, you like use your jobs as like stepping stones, which I think is great. Like even just even that timeline. Okay. Closed on a house. Then I left my job. Then there was a holiday. Then I started another job. So it's like you... You have, and I say use just because um, it's the only word that's coming to mind. I don't mean use like in a bad way, but like mm -hmm. you use the job to help you get into this house. And then once you're in this house, you're like, okay, I, I need a job now for this season of my life. And I think that's really, that's just a great way to think about it because I think what people do is I have this job. How do I fit all seasons of my life into this job and wait for the raises and promotions to come? And I think it's like, no, 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 like this job was really great for this season. And and then there's another job that's going to help you transition to the next season. And then there's another job, you know, and like and you have more control over um, those jobs, you know, based on like what we've been talking about. But um, yeah, it's just such a more like it's just a more empowering way to look at it. Yeah, thank you. And I definitely just want to add that like even though. I made like I had a 30% increase from a higher ed job to my healthcare job. Like I still wasn't making enough money, like quote unquote enough money. Um, I mean, you also know me, I'm a super saver, right? Uh, but it's a super saver. <laughs> I have a pre-emergency fund. But anyway, um, what that's when I realized um, that's like my goal for my coaching business at the time was like, I just want to be able to pay my mortgage and my student loans with the income from my coaching business. So like even as I got that stepping stone job, I knew that like it still wasn't aligned, that new salary wasn't aligned with the next, like with what I wanted for my life and the quality of life that I wanted to live. And that is even like just having that firm knowledge is what gave me the courage to do that research, to understand what I needed to be making, like getting paid just like based on my skills, let alone based on my lifestyle. Um, so, so yeah, so that's when I used that stepping stone. And then that's when I had that conversation with my boss and then, you know, whatever, that's when I ended up like leaving. Like I knew very much going into that job. Like I started as a coordinator and then I was, you know, like the title changed to consultant. Like I very much was like planning out my next steps. Like, what am I going to do next? Like, I'm, you know, like I was embodying that. And then when I realized that that wasn't the path for me, I was like, well, time to go to a new place. Um, so yeah, 100%, just like leveraging the skills that you have. Um, and then, you know, the last thing that I that I kind of want to leave folks with is that if you don't really know what you're doing in your career, honestly, it comes down to because you don't know what you want from your life. 
You need to know what you want from your life first, and then you'll be able to know what you want from your career. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it, that's the same with money. Sometimes like people get stuck with like, well, I don't want to save because it's just like, what, like what for? Um, and it's like, oh, you just need to dream bigger. You need to like have like, like take your brain to places that like feel like pipe dreams and like, let's actually make those real. Um, because I think sometimes like maybe the problem is like, oh, maybe we're just dreaming too little. Like, um, and it's okay and safe to want more, I think is like also just good to remember. Like you don't have to just be okay and like, oh, I'm good here. Like, no, no, no. There's like, there's so much more. Sometimes I think like, and I've had this thought before, like there's there's actually more than the American dream that is sold to us as immigrants. And I think like for me, that's been powerful to say where it's like, oh, I like I, I reached it. You know, I, I graduated college. I found a job. I'm like, you know making like money and like in ways that my parents were never able to but it's like oh that's just like the first step there's like there's so much more than like even what was like sold to us um so yeah so I think that, that that's great I'm so glad that you could come here and like just even share your thoughts um on how you approach careers and um I think just even hearing you talk is like so different and um and I know people are, you know, finding value and and all of that. So thank you so much for joining us. I also know you have a, uh, pod- not a podcast workshop coming up. So tell us about that. Yes, thank you so much, Andrea, for having me on this podcast. I'm a huge fan of your show, by the way. I don't know if I haven't. <laughs> I realize I haven't said that so far, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of your show. Uh, so it's an honor to be here. Um, and yes, I do have a workshop coming up on Tuesday. November 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, it's via Zoom, so you know you can attend wherever you are. And I'm going to teach people how to get job offers faster because um, I'm so glad that you gave me the opportunity to talk about my career because I actually went, I have reduced the time it's taken me to get a job offer from four months to three months to less than two months. And so, you know, yeah, thank you. It's kind of like, wait, what? Okay. Um, and, the, and, I, and I realized that I'm like, yeah, this is a skill and I, that I want to tell, to teach people mm-hmm. because I don't want them wasting their time. You know, it's like, oh, looking for a job is a full-time job. Um, Then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, so that is on Tuesday, November 21st. You can sign up um, at the link on my bio. I'm at, you know, Carla, the first and coach on Instagram. I can also send you the link. Um, so you yeah, can- I'll put it in the description. So if you guys want to join, sign up there and yeah, you'll learn so much. Okay, great. Thank you so much. So yeah, I definitely want to um, help folks get job offers faster. So really looking forward to teaching that. And thank you so much for this opportunity to share my story and to um, to talk to your listeners. Again, I'm super honored to be here. So thank you. <laughs> So that was my conversation with Carla. I hope you guys got a lot from it. Just even the way she thinks about careers and the way that she just views getting a job and salary negotiations and all of that, I think is so fascinating. So I hope you really took a lot from this episode. If you want to reach out to her, um, all of her information will be reached, will be linked in the description below. Um, And I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week. Bye.